Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talk Junkies, where tonight's going to be a very interesting night, as it is each and every single week here at Talk Junkies. Myself here this evening. Um, last week's podcast, I had Jay Goodbinder on, uh, an epigenetist here locally in Missouri. We got into a little bit of um, stem cell and, and regeneration of, of that with exosomes and how that could reverse aging. So if you haven't tuned into that podcast, definitely check it out. It's going to be on Spotify and iTunes. I haven't got a chance to put it up on YouTube yet. There are some controversial things in there, so I don't know if I'm going to or not, but it is on Spotify and iTunes. I did get Danielle D. Martino Booth's book up there, Fed Up, an insider's uh, take on the Federal Reserve. She worked there for nine years at the Federal Reserve Bank in Dallas as an advisor to the CEO, so check that out as well. It's a short 20-minute podcast that I did with her. It was fantastic. But I think tonight, out of those uh, past three podcasts, we're going to get into something very interesting, something we really haven't discussed here on Talk Junkies. Um, and I'm not really going to try and explain it because I'll probably do a terrible job at doing that. But we have an author who just released a book here about a month and a half ago. I believe it was in February or January, one of the two. Um, he's a writer of sci-fi and fantasy. And when he's not talking about or when he's not writing stories, he likes to enjoy time getting acquainted with the natural world. Matthew Basil, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining Talk Junkies. Oh, thank you for having me, Paul. I really appreciate being here. So, well, no, man, it's a pl- it's an honor to have you on. I, I greatly appreciate it, kind of on short notice. So, I appreciate appreciate that. Um, so, what's yeah. going on, man? What you, you just released this book? What what's it about? And yes. well, uh, Dreaming is a novel. It's a fiction novel. Um, I guess sci fi, fantasy, space opera, like you know, Star Wars, that kind of thing is is a genre. So, it, it is fiction. Um, cause I, that's what I do. I, I've, I've done like a podcast called emotional. It was like a mini series podcast that was also kind of, um, kind of like Sam meets, uh, inside out. And those are the kind of stories I like. I like writing sci-fi fantasy. And the reason is I, I like writing that stuff is because I believe stories have a great power. They, the narrative is, is like a spell. And, we, and honestly, we can see that today if you're if you're paying attention to the world and, and news and what's going on in our culture you see narratives being used it's it's being presented by the news media but they're still narratives and and fictional stories are also part of that too we see that all the time in the stories that are coming out the tv series movies narratives are a very powerful magical s- spell really and they can are so powerful because they kind of circumvent what we kind of like have in our front, you know, awareness and they can reach into our subconscious. They can reach into our spirit and they can tap into those things. And I think you have to be very aware of what these narratives are coming through. And I think they can are sometimes not being used. Um, I'm going to put it nicely. Sometimes not being used in the best possible way to outright being used in a negative way, in a malicious way. And I'm trying to write stories to create narratives and stories that can reach into people and express things and concepts that maybe would be a little harder for people to kind of really grasp if it was put out right there. So that's what I try to do with uh, Dreaming and really with all of my stories, because that's how I grew up. A lot of the stories that I grew up with. Yeah, okay, it might have seemed like a bunch of robots who turn into animals or it might have seemed like a... It was a story about, um, you know, a bunch of space warriors or something like that. But I saw into the, in those stories a lot of things that helped me make sense of the world, helped change how I looked at things, helped change how I lived my life. And I think, like I said, that's um, something I would like to help people with as well and contribute towards. 
So with the book Dreaming, you, so it's a, it's a sci-fi. Is it like a thriller type of? It's like a space opera, like in the vein of Star Wars. Basically, okay. the story is it takes place in a solar system that is controlled by – so it's uh, 10 planets in the solar system. It's not ours, okay? And it's controlled by e- – each planet has their own government, but it's kind of overly controlled by this spiritual organization called the Way of the Light, So think like medieval Europe where all the countries, you know, Spain and France and, um, you know, Portugal, they all had their own kings and queens. But obviously they all went towards the Roman Catholic Church as their overall authority. Same kind of deal there. And what happens in the solar system is instead of dreaming while they sleep, they dream while they have sex, while they experience sexual release, sexual orgasm. And it's kind of a lucid dreaming. It's visions that they have about themselves, about, you know, things in the world. And it's a very transcendental kind of experience, similar to, like I said, lucid dreaming, or even if those people who have done like plant medicine, you know, would be kind of similar to that kind of experience mixed in with what we would kind of normally think of as dreaming. So it's kind of like a hybridization of that. And in this story, they, it's very controlled by the way of the light dreaming, the, the procedure, the ritual or whatever, or the practice, but people do it on kind of the, the down low. And um, anyway, a outcast mercenary is sent after this missing person for reasons that he's not asking. So it's kind of a little like the Mandalorian in that sense, where he's just like, all right, I'll take the job. And, but instead of finding the child, uh, he finds a fractured woman and they kind of reluctantly discover that they dream very differently um, than anyone else. And their dreams kind of show things that are taking place in the system that aren't what they think. Like what they think is taking place in the system is really not what's happening or there's more to it and it's not really a good thing. Meanwhile, the star system's going through political and social upheaval. So it all kind of turns into this high paced adventure over here as they're trying to figure out as they one step ahead of things and what to do about all these dreams that they're having and what they're supposed to do with her and why she's the way she is and, you know, and everything like that. That sounds pretty wild, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I don't think that I, I mean, that has to be original, right? That, that, that the way like when, while you're having sex, you have lucid dreaming. That's original. I don't believe I've ever heard that before. I don't believe that's ever been. Yeah. That was kind of my thing. I was like, well, at the very least, you might be able to compare this to Star Wars. I definitely, I think Dune was somewhat of an influence as well. The Fifth Element um, was also a favorite movie of mine. So I think some of that seeped in there, but I do think that the, the dreaming aspect of the story is definitely original. I have not seen that anywhere, which is very rare these days because we're so in such a glut of stories out there uh, for better or for worse. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but um, I don't think that that's been done before. And that was a very important part to me because I believe our, our sexuality holds a lot of personal power that is really untapped and has been, I think, purposely in my opinion, uh, has been hidden throughout our society and our history. For sure. So before we get into that, I kind of want to bring it back just a little bit. So when you talk about Mm -hmm. the narrative, specifically within story writing and and fiction books that have came out in the past, and you kind of, what you're saying is you're trying to reach, when people read your book, you want them to kind of open their eyes. When they read your book, they'll open their eyes and be like, okay, well, maybe this isn't so much fiction. It really is playing out in real life. 
Exactly. Yes. Like you can read the book and just have a good time and that's fine. I entertained you. It is what it is. And I did that part to you. And it's, that's not a bad thing to do, to just be entertained by a story. But even when you're just entertained by a story, something in the subconscious, something in the deep core of your soul, whatever your beliefs are, I, I believe in the soul. I believe in reincarnation. So I, I, I would use the language that somewhere in your core soul that it does get triggered uh, with certain things that are placed in there, whether they write or purposely meant to do them or not. I was purposely trying to, yes, put some stuff in this story that would kind of trigger that, that about personal power messages, about maybe we can need to look at certain things differently. Maybe what appears good and very benevolent on the surface may be taking away certain things from us that aren't what we want to be actually give away. And so those things are, are definitely embedded in the story. And I hope that at least some people will read it and it will trigger them to maybe at least think a little more critically and at least be a little more guarded about giving away their personal power. And if I'm not mistaken, you said you wanted to make it more complex for them to find that within your book. Yes. So are you suggesting maybe something so like, I don't know, like a, a good uh, description, but like something like, like, let's say Inception was a book, right? And if, have, you, have you seen the movie Inception? Actually, I haven't. Okay. So um, for me, that's a very complex movie to understand what's right. really going on. Um, yes. But I, I mean, I don't know if you have any other references movies wise that are fiction. I would that be like fiction. Matrix okay. would be an example okay. uh, I, I, that I've seen. And I'm sure most people are aware. I mean, Matrix was, first off, Matrix was actually, the Wakova siblings, uh, deny this but i mean matrix was ripped off of an indie comic book written by uh i think his name is i forget his name grant morris grant grant morrison grant morrison thank you uh <laughs> um grant morrison came to my head uh who that supposedly claimed that he had an experience with interdimensional beings that told him how the world really worked and that there was really two dimensions overlaid in each other and that we were really being siphoned off our, our psychic energy. And so then the Wachovia siblings were fans of that comic book, we know, because they passed it around to the crew members while they were filming the first Matrix movie. And they you know, adapted it and they changed the interdimensional beings and a lot of the different dimensional hopping and timeline traveling and all the metaphysical elements, they kind of just changed that all to AI and computer stuff. And that's where we got the matrix. But when the matrix released as a movie, it created this shockwave in the collective conscious in our culture where people started questioning, well, are we being told the truth? Is there, is there some kind of manipulation going on in our society? And people started looking a little bit deeper and becoming more aware of it. And I think like, I'm not saying my book's going to necessarily do that, but I think that's the kind of thing that can really happen through a story. Whereas I think if somebody wrote an expose that said, you know, a lot of the stuff the Matrix said, yeah, you might get some readership and everything like that, but it may have not kind of shocked people to this degree. Most people these days, I think, no matter what side of the political spectrum they are, and they do think there is there is dirty deeds being done at the top levels, whether you're on the you know left or you're on the right or you're somewhere else on the spectrum. And I think a lot of that did come from what happened with the matrix to go a little bit down the level. I think um, that's not so quite as big and like controversial, I guess, or uh, rabbit holy. Um, I think Brokeback Mountain did, did that for accepting of, you know, where we are with like gay marriage and everything like that. 
because I, I know I read after the movie, I read a bunch of reviews on IMDb and there were so many people that I saw in those reviews who said, you know what? I don't agree with it, but I get it. Like, or, you know what? I'm still not really comfortable with it, but I won't want somebody to go through that. If they really, you know, love, you know, another man, then, then go for it. You know, or those kind of things where it, 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 because they saw it through this emotional cathartic experience, they were able to identify with it more and it changed something in their consciousness. And that's, that's the power of, I think, storytelling is either getting through certain symbols, which is discussed in my book, or getting through some kind of emotional impact. Depending how good the story is, I think I think that's fascinating, and that's a, a very fantastic way to look at it, especially with mainly mainstream movies, right? Or even New York bestseller books and and number or number one bestselling books and those types of things, um, to where you, they get away with writing these these fiction books, when in all actuality, maybe some of that is reality, and they're and they're putting those little tidbits of of reality in front of us, and most people just look past it and say, "Oh man, it's just it's just uh, fiction. It's not really real." So uh, they just get away with it. And I think that's fascinating. You see it, especially with subliminal messaging and Disney movies. Mm-hmm. And not, mm-hmm. not not only that, with just major Hollywood films. And, and that's, you're right. You're 100% right, especially with Brokeback Mountain or any hot top subjects. They come out with a big movie. They're able to manipulate the way the masses are and how they feel about a certain subject. That's insane. But what I would almost say to that is that, and I, and I, I could be completely wrong, but I, I'm not sure of the gross income or the box office incomes are as big as they have been since COVID. I think that that took a huge hit yeah. on on movies. So I'm not sure if they're in and with people awakening to what's going on politically. I don't know if they're able to get that message across as as they're used to doing. People are still, yeah. I mean, they're waking up and seeing those messages now a little clearer. And hopefully, you know, they see the messages in my book. I'm not trying to hide it. I mean, I'll go through the stuff if someone wants to me to go through the stuff. I'm not necessarily saying it, but I think when you package it in a story like that, it goes down a little easier, if that makes sense. And, um, you know, it, 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 it slides in a little easier. Um, and so I think, yeah, but I, I do agree with you. People are starting to see those subliminal messages and see them and, and, and kind of be a little more cognizant of what the narratives are, uh, which is a good thing because then you kind of realize, okay, I'm watching this and here's what the message is. Do I agree with it? And you take back your personal power that way because you're not allowing the, the spell to kind of transfix you as much and you can make a decision on your uh, on what you really believe and, and kind of look at it as to, okay, well, what are they presenting in this story? Do, you know, and, and what do I think about it? And, and that's the same thing with my book. I'm not trying to sneak something necessarily by people, but I am trying to trigger something in them and to let them at least consider these things. And it, it, like I said, it's a lot of what, how I see the world with the different moving parts. And it's not all just one, you know, big, baddie at the you know at the top or anything like that that's causing it's a lot of different problems it's a lot of selfishness and it's a lot of greed and it's a lot of just resentment and these things kind of bounce off each other in our world and that's how i wrote the book to try to make people aware of that and so they can hopefully be a little more cognizant of it so whenever you talk about it the you know within these fiction books you talk about that that they could be a spell or it could be magic kind of elaborate on that and when did you kind of see that as you uh, as you becoming an author, because this was your first book you came out with, right? Yeah, it's the first full-length novel, but I, I've <laughs> I've written in every single medium probably that there is. I, you know, I mean, it hasn't really um, 
you know, my name's not neon lights. Let's put it that way. But I have yeah. written in every single medium. I, you know, I've, I've done films, I've done plays, I've done comic books, and I've also taken in a lot of these things too. I think it started coming to me as I started kind of having like a spiritual awakening, for lack of a better term, uh, in my um, in my twenty late twenties, early thirties, and. I think as I started having that kind of spiritual awakening, it started to dawn on me that a lot of these stories that I was fans of when I was younger, especially even, um, suddenly those things that I remembered from those stories still held in my head. I was like, wow, this, this fits what I'm saying, or this explains, or this pulls together these two ideas that seem contradictory. A perfect example is, as I mentioned, the robots who turn themselves into animals. I mean, for those who are pop culture junkies like myself, you'll you'll know I was referring to Beast Wars. And that, that was a cartoon where the writers, for whatever reason, were basically writing a cartoon that was supposed to sell toys. And they decided to actually put some actual real stuff in there. They, you know, created this made up words to allow the characters to curse. They had one episode where a character is dangling a sword over himself, contemplating suicide as to whether or not to assert um, his. All things were all things are one. And one of the things that really stuck with me that helped. said, how, how do we fix this? And he said, well, you, when you fight against your, your animal instincts, it'd be. Sorry, one, one second, Matthew. We're, I'm, we're losing signal just a little bit, man. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I am? Yeah, no, we, yeah, I've, I've lost you just a, while you were talking there. Sorry. Do you want me to go again? Sorry yeah, again? yeah, yeah, please. Sorry. I don't know. The, the, the connection was just a little choppy there for, for just a second. It seems to be doing. Okay. Better. Okay, so um, I don't know where we, you lost me, but as I said, one of the stories that really resonated with me and, and showed me kind of this spiritual connection and as an example was this uh, show called Beast Wars about robots who change into animals. And in one episode, they were stuck in their beast modes and they were having trouble with their animal instincts overtaking them. And they went to another character for help. And the character said, when you fight against your animal instincts, they become stronger. You're both a robot and an animal. And when you work with the two in balance and use both of them, you're more powerful than either one is separately. And I think that that's so, uh, that was so resonated with me and what I was going through and, and reading with my, uh, especially like I said, my, during my um, spiritual awakening. And it really resonated with me as a very important message that we are, uh, you know, I believed we were, we're soul and we're, you know, we're human, we're an animal. It's two different entities, especially if you read the works of, if you believe in reincarnation, I've read some of the research into it and the hypnosis of like Newton, uh, Michael Newton. It's, it's very clear in those regressions and the hypnosis things that the human body is an entity in of itself. And then there's the soul and that the two actually are, are two minds that have to meld. And I think that, that was a very spiritual message that was embedded in that story about how to kind of meld our more primal selves with our more spiritual or divine or whatever word you want to use uh, selves to become more powerful than really either one is by themselves. Oh, I completely agree with that, man. We've had quite a bit of, uh, I've had a few authors on the show just to, I mean, uh, like I was talking about earlier, Jay Goodbinder, he made a good point. I mean, his book was more about empowerment as well. And he had kind of described the body as a child. And we, we have to treat our body like a child, like you would treat your own child. You know what I'm saying? That's how we should treat our bodies. Like as you get older, you start not worrying as much about it. Your, your animal instinct side of your, you know, your vessel, whatever you want to call it. 
And then we've had Howdy Mikowski on, you know, and, and he goes into the reincarnation soul trap as well. I don't know if you necessarily go down that far if you think this is a soul trap, uh, but he's to the belief that I'm on the is. fence right now. What's that? Because I've read I, I've read his books, too, and I'm on the fence with it. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. That's still something I'm trying to work through myself. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, definitely on that spiritual realm. And I, I believe right now, honestly, I think we're in a spiritual warfare. I think that that's truly what's yes. going on right now because I think you're a hundred percent right when you talk about that comic book or that comp, that TV show Beast Mode. I think that they hit it spot on. I think that you yes. do have to connect your your human vessel with your with your with your with your spirit or your soul, whatever you want to call it. And I think that that's what's being suppressed from us. And I'm not yes. entirely too sure why. And if you go out in public and you say those types of things, people will call you crazy. Um, it's because those people are set in their ways. They're set in their indoctrination traps, the propaganda war machine that's been going on for 60 to 70 years. And they're not really going to longer. Yeah. And even longer. Yeah. They're not really going to fancy that the, these types of ideas. Um, so I, I think that that's what's going on. Spiritual warfare, man. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a, it's a suppression of, of us as a species here on earth. Now, like I said, I, that's why I'm on the fence. I don't know if, you know, reincarnation is just a thing and it's the process has been hijacked by somebody. I don't know if it's, you know, I'm still on the fence and still trying to sort that stuff out. But yeah, I, we, we are, I think, in made to feel very powerless here in this world. And that was one of the biggest messages that I try to get through with every story I put out, especially within the last five years or so, is, is this personal empowerment, how to tap into your own personal power. And that's why I put that aspect of dreaming and the sexual into that because I, I, I so wanted to try to get that across that that the sex is, is such a, a reservoir for power, I believe. It doesn't have to be for everybody. You know, I mean, we're all different. We're all unique. But I, I, I don't think anyone really realizes. I think it's purposely being suppressed. And I think it's, it, it is very valuable and it should be out there as an option, at least for people. Okay. So when, and where did this start to happen? Whenever you talk, the, talk about the, the suppression of sexuality, um, are you, talk, are you talking about specifically just sex in general, uh, multiple partners or even in marriage or, uh, just kind of, just kind of hit it, man. Well, what I am talking about is basically, and we're going to go far down the rabbit hole and we're going to go controversial. And I will state this as a disclaimer here. I'm always learning thing, new things and modifying my viewpoints as I gain more information. I try to keep myself very open. So this may change, but this is where I'm at right now. Sure. <laughs> so I'm going to go where I'm at right now. What I feel I've seen and uh, from looking at this is that, okay, so you go, first off, there's two things. And if you like to so bear with me here on these two things. All right. So like we said, pretty much throughout, if you look at most of human civilization, sexuality has been very repressed. The, the animal aspect of humanity has been very shunned. You know, if you look at old biblical scriptures, you know, any kind of ancient cultures, you know, Hinduism was, oh, you got punished by may, being made into an animal, you know, in the kar karma, you know, reincarnation cycle. Obviously, you know, if you look at Christian scriptures or biblical scriptures of Jewish texts, you know, animals, oh, they're lesser and everything like that. So the, it, the animals always seem to be, be very impressed. Science represses it. Animals don't aren't as smart as humans or they're idiots and everything like that. And I think that's purposely because that animal aspect of ourselves is part of our power. And it can come through through sexuality because that's a very primal thing. Now, as far as where the repression went back, couple things. One, 
let's talk about, since it's Easter, we're recording this on Easter, Jesus for a second, okay? First off, uh, his name was really pronounced Yeshua, Yeshua. Yeah, that's how you say it because he was Aramaic. Jesus is the Greek thing. So I usually tend to go with Yeshua when I'm actually talking about him because Jesus has become such a loaded word anyway. If you go back to that time period, okay, when he was there, um, and I know actually in a recent episode, um, and I'm just going to say, see, I think there was a thing where you discussed how Jesus said it was okay to pay taxes or you should pay taxes. Yeah. First off, I just want to set the record straight because that, that's, that's not true. Okay, because again, he he was in Aramaic. He was in a Semitic culture. The Bible we have was then translated from the Semitic culture by the Greeks, and then was spread throughout the world in all different languages. And the Greeks had a very different culture than the Semitic culture. And so, and Yeshua was a very intelligent person, and he had to play word games, and he had to be very, and he was also tongue in cheek. And so, a lot of the humor, a lot of his you know, double entendre and word games were missed in the translation. And there are people, well, there are at least one person I know, that's how I stumbled upon this, um, who trans, who was from that Aramaic, spoke Aramaic, grew up speaking Aramaic, was from that culture that was very similar to Isha's culture back then. He translated the Bible. And it's explained, it was, you know, when I started studying the stuff, I mean, it was explained to me that what he said, what happened was the Pharisees were, basically trying to entrap him. They asked him whether it was lawful to pay taxes. And he, you know, they wanted him and he knew this. So that's why he asked, you know, is the coin, is this Caesar's image on the coin? Because he knew if he said, no, don't pay taxes, they were going to turn him over to the Romans for treason. He would be executed because they were trying to kill him because he would be paying taxes and that's treason. He, he would say, don't pay taxes. If he said, yes, pay taxes, uh, Caesar's image was on there. Caesar was a god. So that would be against Jewish law. That would be false idols. And they could have him stoned to death. So it was kind of a double entrapment. Wherever, whichever one he said, they could try to kill him. So he had to answer it very carefully. So when he said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's, what he was actually meaning in the Aramaic was that basically throw away the money, like give away the money. The money's not, it just don't even go into that system. He was telling him to walk away from the financial system of the Romans because the financial system that was in place at the time was very oppressive of the people. So he was trying to tell him to walk away from that and walk into spirit, your spiritual wealth with God. So that's what he actually did not want people sure, to no, taxes. I, I, I can get down with that. That makes sense. Yeah, he, the, the, the whole thing was, was the oppression of the people. He was there. And that was part of his message. And that's, you know, I learned that a lot through looking at the Aramaic, that his message was really talking about oppression of people. I mean, the, the turning over of the money lenders, it, it wasn't necessarily the fact that they were sacrilegious in doing that in the temple. They were, they were taxing the people left and right. They were double taxing. They were forcing them to buy sacrifices that were outlandish landish prices and then taxing them for it and then they had to buy certain other things to do the sacrifices properly and they were taxed them for that so and they were like real quick though something else real quick though i just j j just just because i'm curious um you i i completely agree you have people who are in and i'm gonna say jesus how do you say it again uh, Ishua was Ishua, name. sorry, Ishua. Ishua. You have, it's okay. Ishua, Ishua who is, is... I just prefer that because it's loaded. For sure. Ishua is a completely different person. I mean, like on a magnitude of, of, of when it comes to pop pop culture or icons, I guess I should say. Yes. Um, he became a symbol. Yeah, a symbol. People who be, are, are of that status. And, and granted, he is at the highest status. It, you know, if you look at the, the scale of, you know, what is suggested. 
in, in today's times, you have icons who are faced with difficult decisions that affect hundreds of millions of people. And, and you're almost put in a predicament where you're not going to make both sides happy is, is basically what right. you're saying with Ishua as well. But it, it, and just for an example, Trump with the, with um, with with pushing Trump is a symbol nowadays, too. Yeah. Well, and, and the the are the sorry, what I would bring to the table is whenever he came out with Operation Warp Speed and, you know, he never mandated the vaccine, but he was strongly encouraging it, saying he saved millions right. and millions and millions of lives. And it seemed like he was in favor for it. And a lot of he got a lot of backlash from the 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 Republican party because they're not, they're vaccine hesitant, I guess you could say. What I'm saying is he's an icon. He had a very difficult decision and he just kind of do, he did what he had to do. But if you're, right. you are Jesus in that time, he is Jesus. Like, right. is he, would he pander to people? I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, he would not. And he didn't. And that's, that's the thing in the, when you look at the Aramaic, he did not pander to people. He was, he was actually confrontational to it. Uh, to a degree he was doing it in a very gentle and compassionate way and a very smart and intelligent way but he was actually always confronting and and pushing against the boundaries he actually did say you know i'm going to divide families because you're 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 not going to agree with this and you, you know your father's not going to do it he knew he was controversial when he was doing that and part of it like i said his message down that way was this revolutionary message, which like you said, we have people today who are doing this very it's a similar message, the revolution. Where I kind of have the thing is that something bigger happened back then because the whole concept to me personally, if it, if it gives strength to you, that's fine. But the whole concept to me that he died for our sins or he died to conquer death or something like, or you know, that to me, first off, makes humanity seem like shit. Because you're basically saying that a God was like, look, uh, hey, you know, my, my son, my boy, humanity's a piece of shit. I don't know what to do about him. Do you mind going down there and just, you know, taking some licks for them and getting, you know, you're, you know, getting tortured and killed so that I can allow him into heaven? That's like, that's such a horrible message on humanity to, to throw a guilt trip on them that, oh, we're, we're such scum that somebody had to come down and get tortured for nothing and then had to, you know, so that to me never held any water. It doesn't hold water for the sacrificial, sacrificial lamb because again, and this came from the Aramaic, it, a sacrifice, animal sacrifice was done because animals were considered innocent, even though they were considered lower than humans, they were considered innocent in the somatic culture. So they would sacrifice them by base and doing that, they would put their wrongdoings and their mistakes and their sins with displeased God onto that animal because it was innocent. And so that would basically t be the siphon, the cipher for, hey, this now we're, we're now we're good because the, that animal took all my sins and killed. So that's where the concept of the sacrificial lamb of, of Ishua came from. But there was a special uh, ritual that had to be done for a sacrifice to be accepted by the gods. And that wasn't done with, with Ishua. So that doesn't really hold water either that there was some kind of sacrifice because those rituals weren't done. It wasn't done the proper way that you would do a sacrifice to appease gods. It was probably given to people afterwards as to try to explain it to the Semitic people of what was going on, maybe. To, and I believe to maybe in why we get it today is because it does, again, suppress people. It makes them feel guilty. It makes them feel unworthy. It makes them feel like they owe something. And it, it takes away their personal power. And that was never Yeshua's message. His message was always about personal power. So 
something else had to happen why he died and what happened afterwards that caused his movement to bring down one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful empires that the world has ever seen. The Roman Empire was going along fine. They had their own deity and divinity. And like I said, Caesar was a god. They had their gods and goddesses. And they changed how they did things. They completely changed their culture and reverted to Christianity to try to basically stem a movement that was going on. Why would a sudden, the most powerful empire already had something in place completely do, you know, flip themselves over to do something. They were trying, in my opinion, that indicates that they were afraid and they were trying to stop something from happening or something from catching on to people and something being revealed. And we see this again with, because the movement gained so much popularity. So that brings, so what am I saying here? Okay, so how does Ishua have to do with what I'm, I'm saying about our personal power? In my opinion, that indicates because there was such a dramatic change in the Roman Empire, because this a person, like you said, who was, you know, just a person who really, I mean, if you go aside from supposedly dying for our sins or whatever, which doesn't make any sense when you think about it, in my opinion, hope I made that clear, but um, it, 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 there was something that happened that changed the world, changed the entire Western world. So what was it that happened? What, they had to have done something because they were either afraid or they were backed into a corner at that time, the powers that be. And it carried through all the way still to this day that they buried something. And in my opinion, they buried, and I'll tell you why I think they buried uh, what they buried. I think they buried basically um, how we, how we can use, how we can use sex and um, what would be the like full realization of the masculine and full realization of the feminine, they buried those things because those were so dangerous and they've considered themselves so powerful. And why do I think that? Two things. One, there's a book called the Magdalene Manuscript, which details supposedly a person, a couple, that um, the, the, the male was the one who did the channeling while the female did the, the, the transcribing. But it supposedly was a channeling of the spirit that was um, known as Mary Magdalene. Magdalene wasn't her last name. Magdalene's a title. I've heard it means the Watchtower of God's people, but I'm not entirely sure where that's true because there were no last names back then. So I'll call her the Magdalene to differentiate her from Mary the mother. But it supposedly <clears throat> stated that um, in this manuscript, in this book, that Ishua and Miriam were actually part of something called the cult of Isis and that they were using certain practices that they were taught within the cult of Isis, including sex magic, a, a specific way of basically charging up their spiritual energy through sexual intimacy and sexual release to basically power up Ishua so he could you know, work with the people and so that he would be prepared when he died. And I'm not, it, it's left to read between the lines exactly of what he did when he died, but apparently there was something big. But what did, is, described in that book is that when he rose what he did was he basically changed his body transmuted his body into this energetic self he used this energetic body and he transmuted it so it was all energetic that's why he looked like he did and that would be why like the shroud of Turin, if that's real that's why it would be real because it was such an energetic blast as he transmuted it that it burned scorched the the bandages that he was wrapped in that's why in the book the Magdalene manuscript. That's why it's claimed when Mary goes to run for him, he says, don't cling to me. He's not saying something about him transcending to heaven. He's saying, my body's still unstable. I just 
transmuted it into this energetic form, don't touch me yet because I need to fully stabilize before I can interact with you again. And those things in that book seemed like it rang true to me. And what I always like when I find something, if I compare it to something that seems totally foreign, like would have nothing to do with this, that also lines up, that's when I take notice. And what I saw that lined up for me is Eyes Wide Shut. Are you familiar with that movie? I'm not. Uh-uh. Okay. Eyes Wide Shut was a movie. Um, it was the final movie by Stanley Kubrick. There's a lot of conspiracy theories that say Stanley Kubrick was involved in faking the moon landing yep. and that he was involved in certain echelons of people who were not being truthful and were up to nefarious goods and everything like that. And he was, he was basically trying to communicate those things through the films. Again, through the narrative spell, he was trying to subtly communicate those things. Eyes Wide Show was his final film. He died. Um, right before the release, even though he insisted that a movie take place on the anniversary of the moon landing. Now, the um, theory is that, you know, the, the real official is they just got a heart attack. The theory is, the, the conspiracy theory is that there was 20 some minutes. McDowski actually, um, you mentioned him, he actually writes about this in his book. The theory is that there was like 20 some odd minutes that the um, they wanted cut from the film and he refused. And so that's, you know, he was killed for that reason because they, he wouldn't let those minutes be cut. If you watch Eyes Wide Shut, it's all about sex, basically. It's about this character played by Tom Cruise who hears the story about his uh, wife, you know, wanting to cheat on him and he goes through this sexual odyssey and he ends up in this big orgy, basically, with these elitists and... Afterwards, the kind of uh, someone ends up dead because they kind of find out that he's there and he's not supposed to be there. And it's implied that, you know, he was going to be killed. But somebody who he knew who was there kind of vouched for him and ended up dead. Any- and so she kind of took the bullet for him. Sorry if I'm spoiling it for anyone who hasn't seen this movie or you who hasn't seen this movie. No but And the whole thing is that, you know, he then tries to uncover what happened and he gets threatened and he ends up coming clean to his wife for the guilt and the whole end and the ending of the film is just basically they're like well you know hey neither one of us ended up actually cheating on each other so i guess we're okay we'll keep going and um then literally the last lines of the film for it cuts to black is nicole kim and saying well we we definitely need to fuck as soon as possible basically and it wasn't really hailed as very good. A lot of people said, ah, oh, you know, now conspiracy theorists thought, oh my God, he just, you know, he reeled the like the depraved sexuality of these elitists and what they're doing and this, the, you know, devil debauchery because they're, you know, while they're at the orgy, they're playing like some Christian, uh, Catholic hymn like backwards. I personally think, and I've had this ex- experience, I personally think the 20 minutes that was cut from that film, your 20-some-odd minutes, was actually the ending of the film. Because if you look, again, I'm a storyteller, if you look at that film, it's a gr- it is a great film, it just doesn't have an ending. It, do- it doesn't have the climatic, uh, cathartic finish to it. I think that that ending that he was going to, that was cut, that he didn't want to cut, was the reveal of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, because they're the two who played the married couple, their characters actually coming through and experiencing the sex magic. And I don't know if I'm sounding insane here, so tell me if I am. But experiencing the sex magic because the whole movie, he's basically trying to find this like sexual thrill. He's trying to he's trying to get laid essentially, and Tom Cruise's character, and he keeps writing the problems and he doesn't, and it it keeps getting pushed down. 
And one of the things that I think you read between the lines, because the Magdalene, supposedly the entity that claims to be the Magdalene, the Magdalene manuscript says, read between the lines and what I'm telling you. For those who read between the lines, they will be able to fast track their spiritual growth and gain a lot of spiritual prowess. And I think one of the things she was saying, read between the lines, is when you push down on your like sexual energy, your sexual appetite, that's why I said it's not going to work for everybody if you, if you have a sexual appetite. But when you push down on it and keep it suppressed, it's like building up this charge because it's, it's a charge that's just in us through our primal needs and uh, us as humans. And when you build up this charge and you, you kind of suppress it, and it, it, so, of course, it fights and it, it gets built up stronger and stronger and stronger. And then if you release it, it's like a, a wave of energy. And if you can channel that into the, you know, the actual mind of you and, and your spirit, then you can like, you, you can kind of supercharge yourself. And I say this, the third thing, this was after I had become these things. I had actually, again, Medowski, we go back to Medowski's book. Um, he had talked something about a sexual purge. And so I actually did try this and, and I, for 40 days. And it, it was very difficult for me. And um, I actually wanted to go a little longer, but I just, I, I honestly couldn't hold out. You know, I had to get a little graphic. And I, when I had the orgasm, it, <clears throat> it was... It was similar to when I did, uh, and I don't know if I want to, like I said, say this because I, I guess it would be all right. But I, basically, I, I did a certain psychedelic substance sure. uh, that created cool. this like, monstrous, like, like DM, DMT. Yeah, yeah something yes, exactly, something along that line. Sure. And it was the same effect when I did this. Same exact. Okay, hold on, I, hold, I on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's back this up just a little bit. So, forty days of what? Of abstinence. Okay. No, Nothing. no sexual release. Okay. Rock on. So after the 40th day, mm-hmm. you find a chick. I you released. Do, you okay. do. You, and, and it was similar. So it was, yeah, it was similar. The only difference I would say in it was that I, because they, um, they weren't too far apart. So I was able to compare them. They were probably about um, maybe six months apart, maybe a little more, but um, it was the same. And it was, but it did not feel when I did the, the uh, substance, I felt a little cloudier because I wasn't in control. Something else was, was right. pulling me and controlling me. Sure. When I did it with the orgasm, I was, it was all me. So I was fully, so I was aware. It still freaked me out. I could still feel, I literally felt like energy radiating through my hands, coming down through my head and radiating through my arms. I felt like I could do anything in that moment for a few seconds. And it actually freaked me the hell out because I felt so powerful. I had never felt that way before. And it was the same experience. Like it, it was this tremendous release of, of, of energy and, and consciousness as I did. I just, I didn't like get blurry vision. I didn't like, you know, like completely black out. I was fully conscious of where I was and what I was doing, but I was experiencing the same spiritual and psychological effects. And people probably don't really, I mean, some people probably do, but I wouldn't say it's most people when they're seeking out sexual partners, it's just to have sex. It's just to do it because it feels good. They don't really understand why the meaning behind it. And I've never, I've never looked at it like how you're describing I mean, granted, I think the first time that I learned that maybe there was something more to sex than what I believed there was, was American Pie. When I remember watching yeah. American Pie, and then um, I forget the dude who bangs Stifler's mom. I forget his name in the movie. Oh, Finch. Finch, yeah. And he's always talking about these, like, these sex books that he's reading, and then like he's the talking- The tantric. To, yeah, the tantric, yes. and he's talking about deep breathing and blah, blah, blah. 
And so I, I tried to take what I saw in that movie with me in bed sometimes when I would have sexual intercourse and try to do some deep right. breathing and stuff like that. But I don't think people understand the magnitude of how important sex can be. And not, not yes. only that, but you, you talk about the, the, the deprivation of sex and you look at right. the American or Western culture society and the sexual, the sexualization one of our culture. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not necessarily agreeing with like the, the full clothing of women and, and all those things that, that, that just gets into no. great territory for me. But not only that, but you, the amount of men who watch pornography and how they constantly do it and how that could change the spark and the energy that you're talking about when you do have sex. And, dude, there's just – and I could probably just keep on going, and, and people don't truly realize it because we've uh, we've ad- adapted to these habits as males. And I, I'm not a woman, so I can't speak for women, and I'm sure you can't either. I don't know if women – you know what I'm saying? I don't know that side, but what I'm getting is a male version. We could just keep on going about – how it seems like what you're saying could be correct, that the deprivation of sexuality, they've numbed us to it, and we don't really know what the full experience is, and I think that plays a big part into it. You're 100% right. Yeah, and I want to make clear, I don't think you have to necessarily deprivize. Like, it's for me, that was how I was able to trigger it. Like I said, I think that that's a part of it, and I think there's probably other aspects and there's probably ways that maybe you, like I said, you don't have to deprive yourself for that long to like build up a charge. There's probably other ways you can build up a charge like that. It was just probably because I wasn't, I wasn't depriving myself of sex to do this or experiment with this. I was literally just doing it because I read a Medalsi's book that sometimes, and I'm going to be frank here. I mean, I've had experiences with pornography and, you know, he talked about how I can clutter up the mind and everything like that. So he was like, Hey, sometimes you just need to wash that out and take some time off. And so I was like, you know, I was going through, you know, a lot of things with my book release and, and a lot of personal things. So I was like, all right, well, maybe this is a good time to just kind of cleanse, wipe the slate clean, start anew. And uh, so I was not going for this. I did not expect this to happen when I did it. And so, I, but I think the deprivation was what triggered it for me because I, I wasn't skilled in other practices. But yes, I agree with what you're saying. I think that, again, this is why I said where we're being, things are being split because there's, a great deal of value, I think, in a sexual, like being able to talk about sex openly and express that openly, but it's being done in a way where it's kind of like being done very carelessly. Oh yeah, sex, it doesn't matter. Yeah, just do it. It's just, ah, it just feels good. Who cares? Like it's an amusement park and it, it's nothing. And it's like giving a, you know, an assault rifle to a, you know, a two-year-old, just say, yeah, go play around with it. It's a very powerful tool. You know, it's a very powerful, potent tool and to just play around with it carelessly without knowing what you're doing is not good and it there's the other side that says sex is bad you know only should be done you know to procreate and everything like that and that's not true either because i think sex has a lot of other things besides procreation procreation is just one of the things that can be done with it with that energy and to suppress it and think it's bad and, and dirty and we shouldn't you know we should be ashamed of it and we can't explore what our personal sexuality is that's a disservice too because then we're not looking into our power and i think like i said my experiences what i saw with eyes wide shut what i read in the magdalene manuscript and i you know i i don't want to because i know we're running short on time here but i, I you know you can go on too not only did the Roman Empire change their ways, but then that you go into the certain secret societies like the Freemasons and stuff like that, and what happened over here in America, and how there was the, um, the if you see in like Columbia pictures or the Statue of Liberty, that's supposed to be ISIS, you know, and 
again, that kind of triggers, okay, maybe there's some kind of connection here with, obviously, I think the founding fathers were infiltrated at some point, but what they were doing over here in America maybe was trying to find that freedom that Ishua was was trying to give to us, you know, back 2000 years ago. Maybe this thing actually does go 2000 plus years here yeah. of struggle to try to get this, uh, you know, oppression. And this was a way that was very potent and very powerful that they feared. They feared this, this practice. They didn't want people to realize their true personal power. So they deified Ishua and they threw this guilt trip and they buried uh, the Magdalene, you know, so no one could know about the, the feminine and how she was uh, interplayed in this. And they, you know, totally made sex just this dirty thing that can only be done, you know, when uh, a woman was fertile to, you know, bear kids. Yeah, man, that. And again, the, the Victor Wright's history, right? That's the, that's the age old saying. Yes. And for me, and, and, and I know I always go back to this, but when you look back at when public education was implemented in the United States and same with medicine and all those types of things, it's J.D. Rockefeller has his hands in it. Um, yep. He was a big proponent of public education and, and the two things that you see missing from it. Okay, one, there is some type of sexuality within the public education system, at least whenever I was going through grades, you know, kindergarten through yeah. 12th grade. But it, for, for me, sex ed was just learning about STDs and how to put a condom on. Uh, it yes. wasn't much more than that. And and I understand it's, a, it's like you said, people don't want to talk about it anymore because it's looked upon as this gross and weird thing. And when you're in a classroom with like half chicks, half dudes, you know, <laughs> when you're 16, you don't want to get them all riled up. I don't know. Maybe that's a little weird. But, but to me, it's like you don't learn about spirituality in public education and you don't really yeah. learn about sex. And when no. you put those two and two together, it's like what's really going on here in American Western cultures. And, it, and I almost am curious on um, how sexuality is treated throughout the world in like Russia or India or China, especially China, yeah. probably in India more because their populations are a lot more than ours, you know, double, triple the size. So maybe they're yeah. more in tune with it. But I think imagine if you combine the two, Matthew. Yeah. And, and that's, I, and like, I know Tantric comes from the East, but Tantric's a little bit different than what was described in the Magdalene manuscript. What I think was being, discussed in eyes wide shut and you know what i experienced because tantric if from my understanding of it and it's it's going into because in the magazine manuscript because the guy who did the channeling is familiar with tantric and he says this is very different than what he um channeled because it tantric t is is more about kind of a meditative practice which is fine i think meditation is good to you know gain control to some degree but meditation also can suppress that stuff this a practice as it was described to me and you know what i did you know does take some form of control because you can't let your you know get carried away with it because you need to kind of channel that energy where it needs to go and not lose it and and stay within that energetic bubble basically but i think like i said it's different it, it's talking about using that primal energy leaning into that primal energy embracing that as not something that i'm getting sensations for and you know it's all spiritual so, because it's just this is bliss it's actually saying no this is an energetic charge in the magdalene manuscript she says that this is magnetic forces that are being unleashed so in, in an orgasm real quick so so for 40 days did you prepare yourself were there steps? No, like I said, this was not supposed to be anything. This was a complete accident. I was just basically saying I, I, I was going for 90 days because that's what Mandowski uh, said. So I fell way short of what he uh, recommended. I did not prepare myself for anything. I was literally just 
just saying, okay, I'm not going to go and, you know, I'm not going to look at anything, you know, but I'm on the internet. I, I'm, a, you know, an independent author. I'm going to have to be on the internet. I'm going to have to be on Twitter. Anyone's with Twitter knows there's bots all over the place. You know, you, you get, you know, you, you, you get sexuality still thrown at you. So I was just avoiding it. And I was like, okay, no, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to stick to this. I believe in this. Let me, let me give this a shot and everything like that. And I got to the point where like, I couldn't even sleep at night. Like it was literally like, I don't know if you know that Seinfeld episode, master of my domain. <laughs> Um, been, yeah, like it was like that, you know, where I was tossing and turning <laughs> at night and everything like that. And um, so it just kind of was like, all right, <laughs> like, so it wasn't a prepared, it was literally, I'm going to be crass. I mean, it was literally just, you know, like, hey, okay, you know, like, but I guess just, what, what I'm trying to say though is it's, it's, it's the same with like, um, with like meditation. Like, so, man, you're 39, I'm 30, I'm almost 34 this month. And it's like, you almost feel, I don't know when I became an adult. Honestly, I, I probably started <laughs> becoming an adult. I'm still waiting. Yeah, exactly. But I, I still do have my childish ways, but having kids did change my perspective on life and did kind of right. turn me more into a man than what I was before. But it, it, and I've always gone back to this man is like, we're never really taught about what meditation is and you know, yes. whether it's self-guided meditation or whatever type of meditation or even lucid dreaming or any, or any of those things. But imagine if we put as much time as we do into 40-hour work weeks into meditation or even into sex. And right. you and you have that practice or those habits for years on end or decades. You know, the same type right. of, of, of uh, decades of gaming I've had. How many hours have I played video games? Imagine if I turned all right. that into meditation and, and I guess I could have. You know what I'm saying? Right. But it's just we're never taught to do that. Or there's just too many options. Does that make sense? I don't know, man. Yeah, well, and that goes back to what actually, ironically, what I was saying at the beginning when I was talking about uh, Ishua's quote with the with the coin, with the taxes, when he said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's. Toss away these distractions. Toss away these false idols, he said. You know, concentrate on the spirit. Render unto, you are a spiritual being. You, you have this God power. He believed that, you know, we were God. God was, existed within us. And so... This was the divinity, whatever you want to call it, the spirituality, render unto that what, what is what is God's. You know, you are a being of God. You are a part of God. So you have to focus on that spirituality. That is what is what you are here for. That is what the experience is. And the rest is just distraction. So rend, render it unto Caesar. Just toss it back to him and let, you know, just give it away. But unfortunately, okay. So if you're a single, if you're, if you're a single man, that's probably a little bit easier to do um, than if you well, if you have kids. Yeah. But even but yeah, even, it's very hard to. Do. I, I've said this to some other people. And they're like, yeah. So you want me to go just pour money out on the street? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that either. And it's, you know, no, it's it's, it's not even that. But what I'm it, you can I guess you can you can do both, but you truly can't do it all unless you go into the woods and you live within. Mm -hmm. You live like uh, right. George of the Jungle. I mean, that's truly really yeah. the only way. Again, what is what, Matthew? You know, what, no, I lost you. Sorry, yeah. just restart where you were, where you just started saying. Yeah. I think you're right. It is very hard to do that without going out into the woods. And even if you go out into the woods, they're they're probably gonna find you anyway, or something like that, or call you crazy and haul you in. So yep. <laughs> it's very hard to do. So what you have to do is try to manage through the world as best you can. And, and I think that's done through awareness. And I mean, that's kind of the meditation. I mean, it's one thing. Yes, I think it can be good to maybe shut down and just sit quietly, you know, to to center yourself. But the meditative and I'm not saying I'm an expert at this by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, what I, I try to do is is be aware of what's going on in the world. Be aware 
the fact that they're, you know, they're purposely, there's whoever is doing it for whatever reason, but I mean, there's, there's all these energies that are, you know, out that are being discordant. We're not, we're being cut off from nature. We're being, like you said, we're being cut off from our natural selves. The sexuality is all skewed when it's a powerful implement that we can use to help us, which I think was what it was what it was being explained in the Magdalene manuscript as a, as a powerful movement to kind of help bring us more into our spirituality and away from the distractions and give us more power. But I think it's hard to do without just trying to be aware and trying to navigate what, what the narratives are that are being said to you, you know, both fictional and supposedly real. And what is the, you know, what, what is the, what, what energies am I, am I, getting myself into? Am I getting myself into an energy that's not going to be discordant? Are they messing with, you know, weather to cause me to think something that I'm not thinking or worry about something? And it, it's all about trying to just block out those distractions and try to stay as kind of mindful, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, of what we are as beings and how we can really find our true selves and then find our own personal power through that. And part of that is through emotions. I did, like I said, the podcast, Emotional. A lot of the, what that was supposed to be about was how you transcend fear to find your strength, how you have to navigate other people while still keeping your own self sovereign and, and not you know, collapsing to, to interact with these people, but not necessarily overpowering them either. So not giving away your power and not taking somebody else's power and how you find through your own personal pleasure, basically sexuality, you know, how you find who you truly uniquely are. Can you imagine um, the early 1900s or even, you know, in the 1800s at any specific time, whether or not the narrative in those times are, are to be true or not, because it's extremely hard to tell. Um, there are there are some video records of those times. It's extremely hard to tell what was really going on in those times, in my opinion. Yes. But I think from what further we, back you go, the more difficult it becomes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in, in light of technology, I, you even start to see that, dude, they had a lot of technology in those times. Yeah. I'm not saying that it was anywhere equivalent to what we have now, but damn, dude, they had some shit going on technological mm -hmm. that 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 you don't even see in today's day, which is really weird. But it almost makes yeah. me wonder, and I guess it was te that technology wasn't on a massive scale, but they didn't have as many distractions. You know, I mean, you didn't have running electricity or, or, or water. You're getting it from a pump. You, you live 100 miles away from the nearest person. I mean, some of those people who lived out way out in the country, you know, and you didn't have a TV. At, at one point, you probably didn't have a radio. It's just you and your land. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, right. I almost wonder how spiritual those people were in those times. And I, and I know I'm sure there are books out there. I don't know if you've read any and, and you know, Saul or if you were able to feel the way that they felt through the book, but it had to have been easier, I guess. Yeah, there were probably less distractions and, you know, they were more in tune with nature. I mean, if you look again and I, I, I think the war on nature has to do again with our divide with ourselves, us pushing our animal side away, us pushing this powerful force that's within this world is the is the natural element. They, again, in the Magdalene manuscript, she does cite, she does make certain insinuations that you know the natural world or Mother Nature is you know was kind of you know is a powerful entity in of itself. But I, I think we we push away that natural side, and the more we push away that natural side, the more we lose the connection for it. You know, if we want to go into again more conspiracy theories thing, when COVID hit. There was a great deal of a push to remove animals, 
you know, from humans like, oh, well, the dog or the, your cat could, could pass the disease. There was a, you know, I think they actually did kill like thousands of hamsters in China or something like that because they supposedly carried. Oh, they were taking dogs and cats away in China, too. Hey, so they were taking dogs and cats away and they were putting yeah. news stories out here in America where that could have been done. And I um, I and I won't say who, you know, to protect them. But, I, you know, someone many years before COVID had a dream where uh, and they felt that it was not a dream when they woke up. You know, they kind of had that sense that you have that something it wasn't quite just a dream, but they had a dream where something had happened. We were supposed to be living a pure society and our, um, our animal, uh, my, uh, my animal was, um, was taken away basically and was put in a compound and I was, you know, um, trying to find her and everything like that. And, um, I, I, as soon as I heard all this stuff, what they were trying to take away with animals, I was like, that's what, that's what this person saw. They saw, what what could have happened with COVID, but was somehow averted through you know Mother Nature. I've heard averted it, or you know our collective consciousness was rising. I've heard also averted it. I don't know, but um, I was like, that's probably what what was seen there. And I was like, that's what they're trying to take away the animals because the animals are so much able to filter out our negativity and, and they, or they connect us with nature or they bring in some, they bring in some aspect that was wanting to be severed. So we just kind of, we're going to go even more crazy than we did. And yeah. I think that was what they were, what was going on there. And I think that that showcases, in my opinion, the importance of nature and the importance of the animals, that these are not just mindless creatures or they're not just there for human amusement necessarily, but they are actually, the beings that their energy it it can be a bridge for us you know out of this kind of pit that we find ourselves in this this asylum that we find ourselves in these days <laughs> no i completely agree i think growing i mean and i'm not saying that i paid attention i mean okay i paid attention in school you know you go to the, the zoo field trip stuff like that i paid attention but there you know i was definitely i don't know if it was adhd or whatever i just school wasn't for me it wasn't something that i was very fond of you yeah. know like, you're going there sitting there eight hours a day whatever it is i just I was there because I had to be there, but it almost seemed it almost seemed like the way that you're taught about animals is to look down upon them that they're really not yes. anything great about them, um, and and whenever you get older, I, I feel like most people do see past that. So I completely agree with you. I think animals have a lot more to offer, um, but but to go back just a little bit, um, when you say that we're losing touch with nature, we're getting out of tune with nature. Now, if space is to describe is described as it truly is from mainstream science and what we've learned throughout high school, college, and even and, and afterwards, if, ever, if all that is to be true, wouldn't we be connected then to space? And wouldn't that be nature as well? And isn't that what we are striving for is to get into outer space and interstellar travel? And wouldn't that... No, I, I disagree with that. Okay. I disagree with that. I think that's actually a false thing. To, for us to try to go into space, that's that's I, I believe that's a trick, basically for lack and, of a and better I word. And I I completely agree, a hundred percent. But I'm just saying, if all of that were true, right, and you could travel in space and you could go to another planet that's like Earth-like and has its own nature mm -hmm. and its own animals, couldn't right. that be space calling us? And that space has its own nature. Does that does that make sense? Well, I mean, if I understand what you're saying, you're saying like space is part of nature, so it's all right. the universe, right? Right. right. I can kind of see that, but I, I, we're not supposed to leave Earth. We're, we're Earthlings. There's, I think there's, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do subscribe to the fact that there were probably ancient aliens. 
uh, at, at humans, you know, early existence. So I'm not sure if there's maybe that's why we have this calling to leave so much um, because maybe there's some alien DNA in there. If we want to go down that hole. Um, I wouldn't put that. You know, I, I wouldn't say that that's untrue or argue with that if somebody said that. But I think that there's a part of us that is connected to Earth. We're supposed to be here with Earth, not in some other planet. And to leave Earth is to kind of sever our connection with what we're connected to as, as human beings, as flesh and blood. Our souls may not be connected to Earth as much, but our flesh and blood is, our, our human and self like i said there's the two personas the human and the soul the human self is connected to earth so when we try to pull away from earth we're dividing our, our human self and, and our soul i guess is dividing or we're trying to uh disenfranchise the human self by pulling it away from earth we're designed for earth and when we when we move away from earth into even just the concrete we we sever how our bodies were designed to work like I don't know if you ever heard of those pads that people put on their feet and it's supposed to suck out the toxins. Yeah, there was a TikTok trend. There was a TikTok trend going on with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've I've had them use them, and you know they do turn black. I, I again, I don't. I, I'll, I'll I won't name the person here, but there was a person that I I knew, like physically knew, and was in the room with. I'm not talking. I saw him on YouTube, or I saw this on TikTok, or some video, or something like that on social media. No, it was a person I knew who was also using them, and they were. Um, they were basically suffering from cancer and it was a lymphoma cancer and it, or it was a throat cancer and they put it on their, the pads on their throat. And when they took them off uh, after one night, one pad was completely black and the other one was completely clear, looked just like a fresh pad. And we uh, at first couldn't figure out why. Well, this person had had their lymph nodes removed for previously for um, earlier bowel of cancer on the one side where it was clear. The black side was where the lymph nodes still existed. So that means what the, those pads were doing, they're sucking out the toxins that our lymph nodes are traveling through. If they're sucking out through the feet. That probably means the body is trying to drain toxins that we pick up, which we pick up a lot in our society. We're constantly tossed them these days. And it's trying to filter them out through our feet. And so the earth can actually suck them out through our feet and transmute those toxins. Who walks barefoot these days? No one. Right? No. Oh, fuck, so man. what, so what happens? Shit. Those toxins aren't being drained. They aren't being transmuted. They're just staying at your bottom of your feet or you're sucking them into your socks and, you know, and then they go into the water supply, whatever. You know, so the earth's not transmuting them. The plants aren't transmuting them. The soil's not transmuting them. Those things, and it's, that's just one example, but those little things, uh, you know, we, we could go into chemtrails. We want to really go, you know, into how this, our nature's being warped against us. And, those things and those energies, because that's what chemtrails are. It's, it's a magic. It's an energy manipulation. You're manipulating the energies and the magnetic fields and what's what's the forces are that are present on this earth. And so when those things are manipulated through cell towers or whatever, or you know, electric cars and stuff like that, when those things are manipulated and you're getting those forces and those waves and it's it's distancing you from the earth, it's putting a block between you and and nature. And when you're when you have that block, you can't connect with nature and if earth's rising as some people says in consciousness then we're being separated from earth so we can't rise with it or you know we're well, we're, we're pulling earth back down because you know because we can't we're we're, we're not being connected with it so <clears throat> it's it's all i think a connection that we have to get to our natural selves not nature and sex is part of the nature that is what's being there and that's also part of my theme to 
bring it back to dreaming. There's a lot in there, and that's a little bit more subtle. I won't be surprised if many people didn't pick it up, but there's a lot in there where we are separated from nature. There's a there's a part, and I'm not really ruining it for people who want to read the book, as I do encourage you to read my book. But um, there's a part where they create this creature basically to handle an overpopulation problem. And it's purposely kind of created uh, because the, the guy who creates it says it's created because uh, the, the people don't, basically people don't have a natural predator. So there's an imbalance in nature. And, it, you know, that was what was done. And, you know, it's kind of seen as this monstrous creature. But in reality, it's just doing it, it was human created. And it, 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 the humans didn't know how to kind of create a, an imbalance because they forced out. They forced themselves away from nature. They didn't allow nature to actually do the balance. So they created something artificial that they thought was in tune with nature and it causes a whole bunch of problems. Like I said, I'll leave that for readers who want to read the book. But that's kind of what I'm saying is you need to, you, you, we get out of balance with nature. And so then that just causes more problems for it because nature is a system that tries to correct itself. And when right. we get out of balance with nature, when we push away nature, we, you know, create them, try, and nature tries to correct stuff and it makes things worse. And then we try to correct nature for us and control nature. And then it just creates all kinds of cycles that throw us completely out of whack. And we lose our power and we feel like, you know, oh, well, you know, we're, we can't fix our problems on nature or we feel like we're not connected to nature. It makes us feel more bad inside. And that, again, goes back to the sex stuff because the sex is nature. Sex is primal. All the animals do it. Oh, yeah. But I think because of humans unique situation there's an extra spiritual aspect to it because most animals it's argued whether they're really kind of enjoying it as much as humans tend to do oh it. i'm sure they there are. is enjoyment there but uh, probably with especially with like apes and stuff but um and there's a connection i think there but i think it's it's more powerful in humans and because we're humans we can use that because there's something with it that's comes from our soul aspect and there's something with it that comes from our animal aspect and maybe there's like an alien factor that's in there too in our genetic code and i think that is such a powerful thing and it's because it connects us to nature and it's that bridge and we when we push it down we 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 just do a disservice to us well i think um i'd definitely love to have you on for a part two man because there's a lot of <laughs> of untouched stuff that we that we could have definitely hit on that i don't that we I can't get into right now, man. But if you would, if yeah. you have the time in the near future, sure, yeah, absolutely. Cool. I'll have to come back on. Um, and normally Jess, Jesse's been coming like maybe once every couple of weeks. It's it's kind of just me now. Um, Johnny okay. Johnny doesn't really show up too much anymore. But um, okay, I think we should definitely do a part two, man, because I want to get into chemtrails. I want to get more into the nature stuff and how all these things kind of play together with even five G, um, with vaccines, it's, all it's those. All I, it's it, all an energetic war. For sure, and yeah. It, and I, I just want to yeah. I just want to save that because towards the end and in, in, in that last statement you made, you had a lot of good stuff. And I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> just gaze past those things that you have to say. I want to hear it in depth and in detail what it is that you yeah, feel. Yeah, so, I'm sorry I'm all over the place here. But dude, like, no, it, you're fine. You're fine. It connects in my head. And for I, sure. I, like I said before we started, I don't normally talk this way to people. You're, so no, dude. Kind of the first time I'm taking this from my head and trying to actually put it into work. No, hell yeah, dude. That, that's what this podcast is all about, at least for me, is just spreading knowledge because everyone has their own knowledge. And no one yes. really has has the end all be all knowledge. You know what I'm saying? That's no. what I, I don't. I'm not a. And big, that's what I said at the beginning. This is just where I'm at in my life. Yeah, 100. percent And there's and it might change. Exactly. That's one thing. As you grow older, uh, change is inevitable, in my opinion, in your mind, and all of those types of things. But 
let's do a part two, man. I'm gonna all email you right. after tonight, and we'll get a we'll get a date set in set in stone because I'd love it, dude. You're awesome. I'm I'm glad I found oh, you in my you. journey, dude. So where can oh, where, where can we find your book? Where can we find you? Yes. So if you want to read Dreaming, and uh, it, it is available on Barnes and Noble's website, and it is available on Amazon's website. It is available both in paperback format and uh, electronic format as well. I would say, I'm gonna be honest here, I'm an indie author, so I'm not gonna show up probably if you search Dreaming, uh, because there's other books that are similarly named that the algorithms will probably put up first. So I would suggest if you wanted to search it, you could search my name, which is Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, middle initial A, as in alpha, and then Basil is my last name, which is spelled just like the spice, but with an E on the end. You can also go to the publisher's website, which is freemindspublications.com. And my book is on their website as well. They have a link where you can purchase it on their website. So if that's just easier than searching it, you can just go to freemindspublications.com. Okay. And then you also have a Twitter as well. I also have a Twitter if you want to follow me. Uh, it's Matthew A. Basil. And so again, my name, Matthew, is an alpha and then basil, like the spice with the needle on the end. Cool, man. And I'll, I'll have those all down in the link in the description below on Spotify, on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube as well. Great. Um, Matthew, thanks for joining Talk Junkies, man. Look forward to chatting with you soon, brother. Great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. Take care. You too, brother. We'll see you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Basil, the author of Dreaming. Like I said, I'll put all the links down below. Uh, fantastic podcast with him. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Like Again, I'm going to do a part two with this gentleman. He, he's a dude, he rocks and rolls. Uh, best thing you can do for this video is hit the like button, share to all our junkies out there. Stay fly and ring the bell.